Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Oh, you guys. I love you too. Wow, we've had some church today. (laughs) This is the best. After that worship and then Bree's testimony and then the offering dancing. That's what I look like in my heart. This, This whole group over here. I look like that in my heart, Summer. Just, just like that. <laughs> well, you guys, we had a wild week. Uh, we were having some issues with our septic tank. Anybody ever? Oh, I feel so known by all those signs. <laughs> you know, and we had a friend, Dan Weber. You know, he's like, has you know, professional opinions about septic tanks. And Justin was like, babe, I think there's something wrong with our septic tank. And I'm like, nah, it's fine. I'm just doing its job, you know? It's great. <laughs> you know, I don't know anything about septic tanks. <laughs> and I'm going to have Dan come over and look at it, babe. And so Dan comes over, and he's like, oh, man, I think it's your septic tank. And Justin comes to me, he's like, babe, we got to have somebody come out and look. I'm like, the septic tank is fine. I, I don't, what did he say? You know, <laughs> he's like, baby, he gets paid to do this. Like money, people pay him money for his opinion. I'm like, I think he's wrong. I mean, I look in the toilet and the water's clear. I don't understand how there could be a problem with it. <laughs> so these guys roll up on Friday with this big circular thing filled with the whole city's poop. And it's, it's pink. I'm like, but surely we're not a part of that, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, they're just assessing the problem. And, you know, they end up coming back <laughs> with, you know, there is such a problem with our septic tank, like a real problem. and. Nobody has looked at our septic tank since the house was built. So there's a problem, you know? So it's like thousands of dollars to take care of waste. Nobody has a value. I I would never spend thousands of dollars on waste, right? And so uh, is Kyle here? Kyle was over. And all of a sudden, our house just starts smelling so bad. Kyle was over, and you know. You never think, you want people to come over and think, oh, people poop here. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. You just don't want that to be the first thought people think when they come into your house. And... (laughs) So the overwhelming moral of the story, everybody poops. Everybody. And if you don't take care of making sure that flows correctly, then you'll walk in your house 
and think, oh, people poop here. That's what happens. <laughs> it will come out in the sermon today somewhere, I know, so I just wanted to tell the story ahead of time because what you meditate on comes out. And I, I've been thinking about it all week, you know, so... <laughs> Surely there's more of a word from the Lord about handling waste. And I'm still leaning in for your benefit. Okay. <laughs> but in the meantime, let's turn to John 8. Okay. And we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation this morning. John 8, 1. Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. Let's just stop for a second and, you know, let's just picture Jesus in the temple. And by now, people are intentionally gathering where Jesus is. They, they can't get enough of Jesus. And they have found that thing inside of them that says, Ah, I finally found where I belong. Wherever he is, that's where I want to be. And people were just flocking to hear the words that he was saying. And, you know, this woman, she didn't come to sit at Jesus' feet on her own accord. She didn't wake up in the morning and think, I belong where Jesus is. She was caught in the very act of adultery. And, you know, as I was looking over this passage it, it says their whole motive in bringing this woman into the temple um, was to catch Jesus in a trap and actually accuse Jesus. So by accusing her, they were hoping to be able to have an accusation against Jesus. And so they throw this woman at the feet of Jesus. And, and it says, but Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, Let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd, one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience, until finally Jesus was left standing alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. And, you know, there, our, our battle is not against 
flesh and blood. Our, our battle is against the accuser. Romans says that day and night, night and day, he was accusing the brethren. Throwing insults our way is his main job description. And um, Revelation says he has been defeated. He has been cast down by the word of their testimony, by the blood of the lamb, and that they didn't love their lives unto death. Danny put that verse up on the screen yesterday, and you know, the greatest thing that could happen in accusation is that it would push you to the feet of Jesus. And you know, these, these accusers wanted to engage in a battle with Jesus. And Jesus sat silent in, in the provoking setting that they were trying to create. And, you know, as I've just been thinking on this story, I'm, I, I just put myself in the story and just imagine the woman being thrown at the feet of Jesus because of the accusations. And, and here's the thing. The accusation was true. She was actually caught in the very act of adultery. And she, she's left sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it, it says she was left alone with Jesus. And, you know, before that, they're getting up one by one and leaving the presence of perfect holiness. And he's reminding them where they all came from. Whoever hasn't had a sinful desire that Jesus was constantly taking it off your physical actions, what you do to what's, what is motivating your internal world. What are the desires that are bubbling up in your heart? Who are you on the inside? Because here's the thing, there's nobody on the planet that needs Jesus as much as me. <laughs> There's nobody on the planet that needs Jesus as much as you. That the overwhelming message of the gospel is that we all need a savior. That there's not there's not one person on on the planet that has ever been born into humanity that hasn't needed a savior. And and sometimes we can get into comparing stories like Oh man, my story just isn't that awesome because I, I don't have this extreme thing or, or I do have this extreme thing. But the overwhelming emphasis on your salvation isn't what you were saved from, but what Jesus came to save you to. That the overwhelming emphasis in your story is not your history. It's not, oh man, I'm going to shock everyone with this is what I did, this is where I came from. No, the overwhelming point of the gospel that leaves us undone in the dirt at the feet of Jesus every single time is what he has done that he wouldn't just forgive our sins and we stop there that you know she bumped into the person of mercy in that moment he was the only one that had a right to pick up a stone and she bumped into real grace well, I have, I'm having unconditional access to the presence of Jesus right now I'm actually a sinner touching the foot of Jesus, what should be contaminating him. He's not kicking me away. And she, she experienced a grace that he wasn't afraid of her sin touching him.
And, you know, when they all started getting up one by one and walking away, she could have got up out of the dirt and walked away with a story about the mercy of Jesus. And she could have walked away and thought, man, I, I'm in awe of who he is. I'm in awe that he, he is the perfect one. And he didn't condemn me. He sent all of my accusers away. And she could have got up and walked away. And when we stop the story with Jesus interrupting our past, we miss the beauty of what he's inviting us into. That it's absolutely true. You, you can commit adultery 10 million times, and every time the blood of Jesus will be sufficient. Every time the mercy of Jesus will not fail. Whatever you do, you, you know, he, he said, I will forgive you over and over and over because I am the sufficient one. There's no price that has been left unpaid. If you've been caught in the same sin for 45 years, today in the 46th year, his mercy is unchanging. His mercy is new this morning. You wake up in a love that your mind hasn't even fathomed the depths that, that you are welcomed to the feet of Jesus. If, if, if you feel dirty today, you are welcomed to the feet of Jesus. But our story, what Jesus has paid for, does not end with you being welcomed to the feet of mercy. And, and this woman, she chose to hang out. She chose to do the bold thing. She was left alone with Jesus. And, you know, she, she definitely didn't belong in the temple. There, there was a standard of being someone that could walk into the temple, take a seat, pull out a cup of coffee, and think, ah, I belong here. Like, she didn't fit the description of belonging with the religious, of belonging with the pure. And, you know, Jesus is left alone with this woman. And it's in this moment where it's just her and Jesus where eternal transformation takes place. And he, he, it goes like this, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman, still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? And looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, Then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on, be free from a life of sin. And, you know, it takes courage. You know, we can get saved in a corporate setting like this. We, we can respond to an altar call. We could hear the truth of the gospel, and we, we can cross over into eternity, and our story is forever rewritten. But to have life-transforming power from the gospel touch the deepest parts of who we are, we have to be left alone with Jesus. We have to find ourselves in the dirt and every external accusation has been silenced just because he's there. 
And we have to have the courage to not get up and run away with him. We have to have the courage to see what he sees. How does the perfect, spotless son of the living God see me in my failure? See me in my mess? And he responds to her from a place of respect. He stands up out of the dirt and looks her in the eye and says, Dear woman, where are your accusers? And, you know, he, he knew in that moment that he would be absorbing. When, when he was saying, neither do I condemn you, he was, he was reminding himself, I'm sure, and, and reminding his mission on planet Earth that he had come to absorb every sin of humankind, that, that it wasn't just going to be something he said, I don't condemn you. It was going to be something he would do, I don't condemn you, that he was actually taking her sin and swallowing it up into who he was, and he would carry it all the way to the cross. And Isaiah said, I, I, he will become intimately acquainted with all your grief. He will actually bear your sorrow, that he will feel the weight of your sin upon who he is. And so it wasn't just words that he was saying, neither do I condemn you. He was scooping up every violation that had ever been done in her life. He was scooping up every poor choice that she ever made. That it, like real violation. He, he wasn't wiping it under the cupboard. He wasn't wiping it under the carpet and saying, let's pretend this didn't happen. Let's, let's just look the other way and just don't do that anymore. No, it was all in the very next verse. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Listen, he, he says, I am the light to the world. And those who embrace me will experience life-giving light. And they will never walk in darkness. And, you know, when they threw her into the center of this whole group, he, he wasn't in a hurry to, hey, put a blanket on her. You know, hey, cover her up. He, he wasn't afraid that she was caught in sin. He wasn't afraid that her failure was unraveled there in front of everyone. It was in pure light. When you have been hidden inside of the light of the world, it is not so that there is less of you to see. You know, the purity of the gospel doesn't mean I never remember the poor choices I made. It means I am not afraid to walk through any valley of my past because I carry my Redeemer. And my Redeemer isn't ashamed of who I am because he took every ounce of my shame and he became intimately acquainted with it. You know, to truly feel the beauty of belonging, we have to live in the light. She was undone in a place that others esteemed. Oh, these type of people aren't welcome here. She's actually standing on holy ground, and she's a dirty woman. And, and Jesus was unraveling a religious mindset that would say, your access to Jesus depends on you. And she, he allowed the accusers to race her right to his feet. 
a place that she would probably never come on her own. And you know what? The devil thinks you are a pawn in his game. But the reality, you know, they thought this woman was just a pawn in their game to try to accuse the Savior of the world. But in reality, they were a pawn in the master scheme of Jesus. How many people can I get to my feet? Let the accusers erase her out of darkness right to the feet of mercy where I will be enough for every ache in her heart. And, you know, if the story would have ended there, she would have left forever ruined by one encounter with Jesus. But Jesus didn't come that we could have one encounter and that we just tell that story forever to our children's children. He came to give us access that he could be Emmanuel. God is with us. He came to change the very DNA of who we are. And in these words, go and sin no more. She, she was actually lining up with a DNA change. And we know that because in John 15, Jesus said, my words have made you clean. My words. Whatever Jesus declared, he instantly made clean. And he was declaring over her, go and sin no more. Go and be a clean person. Not because you're scrubbing the outside of the cup, but because I'm speaking into the heart of your identity and I'm taking your shame. I'm taking your sin and I'm making a great exchange right here on holy ground. Take off your shoes because I'm making an exchange. And as sinful as you are, I'm giving you my holiness. I'm giving you, I'm cleaning out the inside of your cup. And no longer would she go as a dirty person trying to make good choices. You know, when we believe that we're dirty, we live a dirty life. When you believe you are unclean, you will per perpetuate unclean choices in your life. But clean people live a clean life, not because it's what they do, but it's who they have become. Is that, no, my, my identity has changed. My appetite has changed. What, what he's addressing here, who among you hasn't had a sinful desire? You know, sin is the great equalizer of humanity. Oh, we've all had a sinful desire, you know, everybody. There's nobody as clean as Jesus. <laughs> And, he, you know, when we find ourselves perpetuating, you know, when we're stuck for 45 years in the same pattern and, and we know, gosh, I know I am forgiven. I know I am unconditionally, I am unconditionally loved by Jesus. We, we can't get up and walk away in that moment. We have to stay and be left alone with Jesus to hear what are you going to declare over my life? that makes these choices. Uh, you have been made holy because of your union with me, Ephesians says. And, you know, you're very in our brand new DNA. We, we get up out of the ashes 
because he spoke a new identity into our being. And, you know, if we have a heart, is it just words? You know, I feel a little stressed for her. She's going to get up and just go and not sin anymore. How long has she been doing this? Did she get to the root issue? You know, what's happening? And he's just making a decree over her life. Go and sin no more. And, you know, if it's hard for us to wrap our mind around, how would the words of Jesus have that much power to absolutely transform the entire trajectory of our lives just because he spoke? We have to go all the way back to the beginning. Just because he spoke, we see everything we see. The creator himself spoke everything into existence by words. He didn't make a good, you know, call a contractor, call a sky painter, you know, work out some deals. He spoke, and creation burst into life. And he, he was there at the beginning, and he's here to recreate an identity that has never been there before that you are a brand new creation. And it's not a new trick. It's the same form of creating that he's used since the beginning of time, that my word over your life is enough, that my word over your life has actually turned you into something you, you could have never gotten to all on your own. And you don't, you don't go and just don't sin for five years and then we'll check back in and see if I can call you holy. I, you don't come back in with a rap sheet and, and let's see how much your life lines up with holiness and then we'll decide if I can say you are holy. No, you, you, the only way to holiness, the only way is through Jesus. That, you know, Galatians says, who has bewitched you? That, that you would think you could get anywhere in your own performance. And, and you could spend seasons scrubbing the outside of the cup. But until we remain when every other accuser has gone, and we wait and we're left alone with the voice of Jesus in the dark of our night, and we hear, what, who do you say I am? I say you're a brand new creation. You're not bent to sin any longer. Your appetite is changing. Your desires are changing. The unctions in your heart are changing. Be holy as I am holy because it's a gift. It's the great exchange. And, you know, I've had seasons in my life where I, I realize there's a deficit you know, and gosh, why is this craving welling up in my heart? And we, we start to get purged and we allow in every season the accusation that we feel start to bubble, lead us to the feet of Jesus. We find, oh man, I'm living, I'm living like I don't have a savior. I'm living like I'm trying to earn an encounter. And you know, when my, when my girls were little, I would take them to these well baby checkups and they would always ask on the sheet, is your child craving, is your child found eating dirt or sucking on rocks? And, you know, if you're, if you're marking yes in any of those boxes, it's because your child is malnourished in some way. And, you know, we wouldn't go home 
and take all the dirt out of the backyard. And we like, get these rocks out of here. You know, like, just eliminate every temptation for a rock, you know. We wouldn't sit down and study the child and think, she actually just might be uniquely designed out of all of humanity <laughs> to eat dirt. She, it, it might just be in her DNA to enjoy dirt for dinner, you know? No, no, we wouldn't engage in any of those conversations. We would, we would pull up a chair and we would sit her at the table and we would give her what her body was longing for. We would give her whole real food. Love wouldn't judge her for what's missing. Love would bring her to the table and say, hey, honey, you need to eat this. I know, I know it actually doesn't sound good, but your body is actually craving this. And I'm going to teach you what you're really craving. And we've got an entire generation that's stuck in the dirt thinking, I'm uniquely wired to crave dirt. I'm uniquely wired to suck on rocks. This is, this is the best I'll ever get. You know, I, I'm just destined to just to be down here in the dirt and not realizing the table we've been invited into, you know, and, um, you know, this, this longing for, for belonging, it's wired into our DNA. I love all the chatter about belonging because I feel like it's uncovering our, our beautiful design that in his image, we have been wired to crave belonging. It's a healthy, pure craving. You can't out-discipline the needs of your soul. They will be there no matter how spiritual you get. And, you know, the thing is, is that it breaks my heart when it feels like belonging, it, it, it becomes a carrot out here in front of the people of God. And we just can't ever quite grab it. You know, we're just kind of always longing for it, but we get a little closer and then it's just farther away. And there, there are things that we are designed, only our God would be our first source for. And there's no way around it. Everybody has a God. It might not be our God. We might have areas of our life where right now we can't say no one Lord. We can't call him Lord because we're not looking to him first as our first sustenance. But everybody has a God and your God is, is supplying your source of joy. What, what have you put in charge of making you happy? Because your God is supposed to be providing your source of joy. You know, and I, I realized after lots of years that my husband was in that spot, just a heads up, it's miserable, you know. <laughs> People are our first target. And, you know, your source of hope, where is your hope in your bank account? Then that's your God. Whoever is providing your source, is, is it your external reality? 
oh yeah, I feel, I feel secure when I have this, 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 and this. Your security is supposed to come from your God. There, you are literally wired and designed on purpose that your God would be at the forefront of your source of unconditional love and acceptance and your source of belonging. If, if your starting place isn't, I belong at the Father's table, then no matter how many tables on earth you're invited into, it will constantly be a dangling carrot. Like, oh, I need that table. Okay, and then I'm at that table. Oh, I need that table. 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 That we are actually wired to live from heaven towards earth, not just in miracles, signs, and wonders, but in the health of our soul. Because if we're not living in the fullness of the Father's table, that need will violate every core value. And we'll find ourselves just like the woman who committed adultery. And that need will be running over our core values. That need will be running over what we know we don't want to be. That need will start making decisions in the dark out of desperation. And you'll start eating dirt just to fill the longing in your heart. And we are wired. You know, everything looks different in the grocery store when you come in full. Everything. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but when you go in there hungry, you start violating everything you want to be. You know? <laughs> because your desires are, they're being the rudder of the ship. You know? And in your life, when you are living from the fullness of heaven, every table on earth looks different. It's no longer I need out of a desperate need to have a seat at that table. But every table becomes an opportunity to serve. How, how can I be a blessing here? And, and when a, a chair on earth gets pulled out, it doesn't, it doesn't escalate my confidence. That when, when our confidence is rising and falling based on the table we're sitting at, it's equivalent to, to sucking on rocks. Because we're coming to the table as a beggar. Ah, give me an identity. Give me significance. And you know what Proverbs says? It says, when a king invites you to a table, put a knife to your throat. Keep it there so that you're not tempted to take from someone else to add to who you are. So you're not tempted to reach into some, somebody else's life. And instead of coming to get low and to serve, how can I benefit? How can I lay down my life here? How can I make you better to actually live the gospel Jesus lived on planet Earth? When we come hungry to a king's table, that, that desire to belong, that desire for significance, the things only our God is supposed to be supplying first, we end up taking from people we're supposed to be serving. And, you know, the, the reality is on earth, there are more tables I'm not invited to than am invited to. You know? I mean, it's just a reality. I'm going to go to one house for dinner tonight. All the other houses I didn't get invited to. I might have got invited to two, but that's a busy night if two people invited me to their house for dinner. <laughs> you know? And I'm, a proper identity doesn't look like 
I am actually a daughter of the king. I mean, does this world know who I am? Like, I am a daughter of the king of heaven. I, I'm going to drive up to Washington, D.C. tonight, and I'm just going to knock on the White House door. I'm, I'm actually here to have uh, dinner with the president tonight at his table. I'm going to sit next to him, and I'm actually a daughter of the king, so I've come to sit at his table. You know, like, you know, like they handcuff people like that, <laughs> you know, like, like, like that isn't an expression of confidence in Jesus, you know, that, no, confidence in Jesus, I know my assignment on the earth, I know my assignment in this season of my life, and I'm not going to be distracted or lured by tables that I know I'm not called to right now in this part of my story, and, you know, his banner over you is love. And, you know, Song of Solomon says, he's welcomed me to his table, his banqueting table. And his, he actually put a banner over my seat. Like, banners take time to make, you know? Like, L, O, like little felt hearts, you know? Like, somebody made the banner. And his banner over me, when I step up to the banqueting table, is love, 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 love. And when I am living from that seat, I, I, I carry out my mission on earth with a mindset of what, what could you add? What table could you invite me to that could elevate my identity? What, what table could you invite me to that could reduce my identity? What table could you invite me to that would change who I am? Because, you know, we need to be able to sit, to sit with the poor and not, not think we're the only people that care about humanity or walk away with a poverty mentality. And we need to be able to sit with the wealthy and not have it touch our identity or elevate our significance or elevate our value and our worth. But that the life that Jesus modeled is this one table gives me everything I need. And it's not always what I'm hungry for. It's not always what I'm craving. But I have learned in some of the darkest seasons of my life, when you're not hungry for it, you got to sit longer. <laughs> When he's dishing something up that doesn't taste great, we got to keep our eye on the banner over our head that says love, 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 love. Because, you know, living healthy, living whole in our identity that comes only from him is not found in one encounter with Jesus. It's found in a lifestyle of proper nutrition. If you're eating dirt and you've been eating dirt for 45 years, you're not going to sit at the Father's table and get everything you need in one meal. It's designed that an ongoing relationship, that every morning I wake up and I live under the reality, ah, oh, I get my mail here. This is, this is the place I wear my slippers. This is the Father's house. I belong Every ache in my heart finds its resting place here. I, I move towards tables because I belong, not because I need to belong. 
And, you know, this is a big deal when inside of our DNA, we have been wired to crave changing the world. You can't separate it from born-again believers. We want to make an impact. We want to live a life that Jesus gets his full reward in me, that it echoes into eternity. But success is not found in the seat we get in earthly tables. Success is found in what did I do with what he said over my life? Did I live like his voice is the highest opinion? Did I live like his table knows no lack? And you know, when we're building a family around his presence, we don't wait for an invitation to the Father's table. Nobody on planet Earth can pull out that seat for you. There was one way to the Father. There was only one way. There would never be another. And e- e- even if Leif and Jennifer Hetland, they mentored you themselves, if Steve invited you over for dinner every single night, it wouldn't give us access to the table we crave. There was one way to access to that table. One way. And it's a narrow way. It is like a pointy, pointy tip. And you have to get so low as to lose your whole entire life to get in the door. (laughs) You can't take any of your status. You can't take any of your dollars. You can't take any of the ambition for your life. The call of the gospel is the call to lay it all down, to pick up the cross and say, I'm going in one way. I'm going in the way that's narrow, the way, the truth, and the life, the person of Jesus alone. And inside that person of Jesus is a wide open table that I get to walk up to any time of day, any time of night. And and family around this presence means nobody is more or less valuable. Everybody has different gifts. Everybody has different favor. Everybody has different tables on planet Earth that they're sitting at. But none of our value comes from that because everybody has equal access to his presence. Everybody gets to put their feet up on his table and let out a sigh of relief and say, ah, I belong here. This is where I belong. And from that place, we cannot be bought. From that place, what could tempt you? From that place, we're not, we're not tempted to beg, steal, and go all these choices we were never wired to live under. So I would just love for everybody to stand up. And I just felt like this morning was an invitation, a coming home invitation. And you are destined to influence cities, to influence nations, to sit with the poor, to sit with kings, to walk as Jesus walked on planet Earth. But to do it from your seat in heaven, to do it from the fullness of who he is. And wherever you're at in your journey this morning, I, I just felt the Father inviting us home, inviting us into another level of when it's just me and Jesus and I'm left alone with him, 
I'm going to hear what he calls me. I'm going to hear what he creates inside of me with his words. So we just open wide this morning, Father, and we just say that you're the main event in all of our life. You're the main event that we will never grow beyond the Father being the biggest deal of who we are. And so we just welcome you into every season, Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, all across this room. We say we're going in no matter the cost. We've come to lay it all down. Because one thing do we desire. One thing do we crave. And that's dwelling with you all the days of our life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.